legs on and shiver their timbers on all possible occasions, so I turned military at once, called my dinner my rations, saluted all newcomers, and ordered a dress parade that very afternoon. Having reviewed every rag I possessed, I detailed some for picket duty while airing over the fence, some to the sanitary influences of the wash tub, others to mount guard in the trunk, while the weak and wounded went to the work-basket hospital to be made ready for active service again. To this squad I devoted myself for a week, but all was done, and I had time to get powerfully impatient before the letter came. It did arrive, however, and brought a disappointment along with its goodwill and friendliness, for it told me that the place in the armory hospital that I supposed I was to take was already filled, and a much less desirable one at Hurley Burley House was offered instead. That's just your luck, Trib. I'll tote your trunk up garret for you again, for of course you won't go, Tom remarked, with a disdainful pity which small boys affect when they get into their teens. I was wavering in my secret soul, but that settled the matter, and I crushed him on the spot with martial brevity. It is now one. I shall march at six. I have a confused recollection of spending the afternoon in pervading the house like an executive whirlwind, with my family swarming after me, all working, talking, prophesying and lamenting, while I packed my go-abroady possessions, tumbled the rest into two big boxes, danced on the lids till they shut, and gave them in charge, with the direction... If I never come back, make a bonfire of them. Then I choked down a cup of tea, generously salted instead of sugared, by some agitated relative, shouldered my knapsack, it was only a travelling bag, but do let me preserve the unities, hugged my family three times all round without a vestige of unmanly emotion, till a certain dear old lady broke down upon my neck with a despairing sort of wail. Oh, my dear, my dear, how can I let you go? I'll stay if you say so, mother. But I don't. Go, and the Lord will take care of you. Much of the Roman matron's courage had gone into the Yankee matron's composition, and in spite of her tears, she would have sent ten sons to the war had she possessed them as freely as she sent one daughter, smiling and flapping on the doorstep till I vanished, though the eyes that followed me were very dim, and the handkerchief she waved was very wet. My transit from the gables to the village depot was a funny mixture of good wishes and goodbyes, mud puddles and shopping. A December twilight is not the most cheering time to enter upon a somewhat perilous enterprise, and, but for the presence of Vashti and neighbour Thorn, I feared that I might have added a drop of the briny to the native moisture of the town I left behind me, though I'd no thought of giving out. Oh, bless you, no. When the engine screeched, Here we are! I clutched my escort in a fervent embrace and skipped into the car with as blithe a farewell as if going on a bridal tour. Though I believe brides don't usually wear cavernous black bonnets and fuzzy brown coats, with a hairbrush, a pair of rubbers, two books, and a bag of gingerbread distorting the pockets of the same. If I thought that anyone would believe it, 
I'd boldly state that I slept from C to B, which would simplify matters immensely. But as I know they wouldn't, I'll confess that the head under the funereal coal hod fermented with all manner of high thoughts and heroic purposes to do or die, perhaps both. And the heart under the fuzzy brown coat felt very tender with the memory of the dear old lady, probably sobbing over her army socks and the loss of her topsy-turvy trib. At this juncture, I took the veil, and what I did behind it is nobody's business. But I maintain that the soldier who cries when his mother says, Goodbye, is the boy to fight best and die bravest when the time comes, or go back to her better than he went. Till nine o'clock I trotted about the city streets, doing those last errands.